This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Electronic satellites suddenly go out of control. There are voltage surges across the globe. In some places, there's a complete blackout. Scientists have little data on this incredible solar behavior, so we're still unable to accurately predict how or when exactly the next geomagnetic storm will happen. One such event took place back in July 2012, but thankfully it missed us. Not by far, though, by a mere nine days. Just to give you a glimpse of what nearly happened, I need to explain some astronomical basics. A solar storm is a series of effects we feel here on Earth after certain events occur on the Sun. Our star is nothing more than a huge ball of molten gases that are constantly moving around. So these events happen more often than you'd think. For a solar storm to begin, our Sun needs to emit bursts of energy. They're in the form of solar flares and coronal mass ejections. These two phenomena send electrical charges and waves of magnetic fields toward the Earth at an astonishing speed of about 3 million miles per hour. When these solar storms reach our planet, we can see northern lights display in locations close to the Arctic Circle. But they can also mess up satellites or other types of electronic communications. Some of these solar storms can be dangerous, and back in 2012, we came close to experiencing a very powerful one that could have had a serious outcome. The most powerful in as much as 150-plus years, based on research done by astronomers. But how did we manage to escape it? Did we have something to do with it, or was it just a pure coincidence? What we do know is that one of those coronal mass ejections did hit the Earth's orbit in late July 2012. Our planet had already left that specific location as it was on its scheduled trajectory around the Sun. So you might be asking yourself at this point, what if it didn't miss us? Turns out, these intense solar storms are dangerous to all sorts of technological objects. Given we are now literally surrounded by electric objects, from our phones to our cars, try to imagine what would happen if they all stopped working all of a sudden. And here's how they work. Solar storms start with an explosion, or a solar flare. Then X-rays and UV radiation travel to our Earth at the speed of light. Some of the side effects? Well, they can include radio blackouts and GPS navigation errors. The effects can continue as minutes, or at times hours later, energetic particles reach our atmosphere. They move only a bit slower than the speed of light, but they can electrically shock the Earth's satellites and damage their components. Lastly, about a day later, clouds of magnetized plasma reach us as well. They can cause huge power blackouts, more or less paralyzing everything with an electrical plug. We might not even be able to flush our toilets, since most water supplies in cities use electric pumps these days. The effects of these geomagnetic storms would be different around the world, though. Solar storms are curious by themselves, but why do they affect some locations on Earth more than others? Based on recent research, 
geology has a lot to do with it. But I need to take you back a bit to paint you the bigger picture. Buckle up, because we're taking a trip in the time machine. To a time when the moon didn't even exist, yet. 4.6 billion years ago, our solar system looked a lot different than it does now, and that's putting it lightly. Hundreds of new planets began to form around the new sun. Planets like our own Earth, Venus, or Mars were still hurtling around the cosmos. Back in the 1970s, an astronomer named Donald R. Davis developed a theory that said the Moon was born when another planet hit a newly formed Earth about 4.5 billion years ago. He also indicated that it might have been the size of Mars and later named this planet Theia. It's difficult to imagine what that impact might have looked like, even with the equipment we have these days. The astronomers suggested the giant impact hypothesis trying to piece together this mystery. After running into our planet, the outer rocky layers of both Earth and Theia were projected into a circle of cosmic matter. Out of this debris, what we now know as the Moon was born. The Earth's core has apparently consumed Theia's iron core, that is, if it had any. Our planet also got into the position it occupies today. This way, it became more susceptible to geomagnetic storms. Back then, there was little to no information as to what might have happened to Theia, apart from giving us our only natural satellite. It took several years for a series of scientists to come up with an exciting new idea that revolutionized what we knew about our planet. What was left out of Theia is hiding under two continent-sized layers of rock deep within our planet. This theory is also one of the only explanations for why the Moon is so dry and doesn't have much of an iron core. But why is geology so important when it comes to geomagnetic storms? Well, that's because recent data revealed that the type of rocks below your feet can affect how well your city adapts after powerful geomagnetic storms. Some types of rock, like sedimentary rocks, for example, generally have more space filled with water, which makes them electrically conductive. Other types of rocks are denser and have more resistance when it comes to electricity. Whenever such a storm happens, people living in the New England highlands may have a higher risk of experiencing major disruptions. At the same time, those in the mid-Atlantic coastal plain have less to worry about, simply due to what's hidden beneath their cities. Rocks rolling down the slopes of a rumbling volcano, pushing other bigger rocks on their way, and eventually tumbling down into the ocean in a humongous cascade, causing a wave the height of which the world's never seen before. This is what might happen if the Helena slump of the Hawaiian Big Island falls off into the water. The Kilauea volcano is far from dormant. The latest eruption occurred in 2018. Its eruptions are usually accompanied by earthquakes of different magnitudes. And with each quake, the magma rocks on the slopes of the volcano shift down. These rock formations are called slumps, and the Helena slump is the most notorious of them all. In 1868, the shift of this slump caused a tidal wave rising as tall as 60 feet. But what's most troubling is that some 110,000 years ago, a landslide here led to one of the most powerful earthquakes ever, which in turn led to a mega-tsunami of over a 1,000 feet in height. 
Scientists are worried that such an event may repeat in the future. If that happens, the wave might engulf the whole of Hawaii and easily reach both North and South American coasts. Geologists are quick to reassure, though, that a landslide like this is unlikely to occur anytime soon. It's just too early for that. But when it finally does, the consequences will be catastrophic. Have a nice day! Yellowstone National Park in the western USA is world-famous for its dazzling views, and especially the colorful Grand Prismatic Spring at its very heart. But we should all stay aware that Yellowstone is, first and foremost, an enormous caldera, basically a slumbering supervolcano. The difference between a regular volcano, like Kilauea from earlier, and a supervolcano is that the latter is thousands of times more powerful. Imagine an eruption spewing tons of huge rock and rivers of hot lava, pumping out clouds of ash that make countries stop air travel for weeks. And now multiply all of this by a thousand. This is what a Yellowstone eruption would look like. At first, a huge area in the middle of the national park would shake, crumble, and then blast upwards in a megaton explosion. Lava flows and magma rocks would cover the area of about 40 square miles, roughly half of Washington, D.C. But the greatest danger is the volcanic ash. The ashen plume would rise miles above and get carried by the wind in every direction. Since the eruption would be far from ordinary, the spread and damage would also be much greater than usual. The ash is thick and heavy, so it would cover a vast area in a blanket, destroying crops and even buildings. Worse still, it would spread in the air and block out the sun, leading to a drastic drop in temperature and an artificial winter. Even regular volcanoes can lower temperatures worldwide by a few degrees. A supervolcano may potentially cause a new ice age. Luckily, the chances of Yellowstone supervolcano erupting in the near future, or at all, are extremely low. There have been only three of those in the history of Earth, and there's no evidence such a disaster should repeat. Scientists estimate the probability at 0.00014%, which is lower than the chances of an asteroid wiping us all out. Speaking of which… If dinosaurs could talk, and were at least still alive for that matter, they'd tell you that asteroid threat is as real as it gets. Scientists at NASA say they've tracked 90% of all near-Earth asteroids of significant size, and none of them are a matter of any concern. But there are still the other 10% in the great unknown. What's more, asteroids can change their line of flight because of the pull of other celestial bodies and eventually turn our way. Lucky us! Now, if an asteroid big enough, like a mile across, hits the Earth, it will first cause an explosion powerful enough to erase a dozen big cities in a matter of seconds. Then the impact will raise a cloud of dust and debris that will block out the sun, just like the ash cloud from a volcano, and cause a centuries-long winter on the whole planet. But even if it falls into the ocean, which is more likely, a resulting wave will rise several miles high, washing coastal cities off the face of the planet. But at least there won't be a new ice age. Although scientists are pretty sure there's no such threat in the near future, it can't be ruled out completely, and humanity needs at least five years to prepare for this event. If a big near-Earth asteroid suddenly changes its course and turns right toward our planet, we won't stand a chance against it. Disaster movie, anyone? A much more probable calamity, though, rests right beneath our feet. It's the San Andreas Fault in California. 
the fault has been ready for rupture for years now. And scientists estimate that an earthquake along this line is likely to occur in the next three decades. And when it happens, it won't be nice. They expect a magnitude of 8.0, which is comparable to some of the most devastating quakes in history. This is junk. John seems to attract all kinds of bad weather and natural disasters wherever he goes. See for yourself. One day, John notices his dog is restless. The pooch keeps scratching the entrance door and wandering around the house. He even tries to hide in the corner, howling and barking. When some mugs start to clink in your cupboard, John realizes what it means. The noise is produced by foreshocks. Mini earthquakes leading up to the main event. Earthquakes often happen in clusters. After a few weak quakes, a much bigger one is likely to be on the way. Sometime before the disaster strikes, people might notice bizarre blue lights. Some of them seem to be coming out of the ground. Others are hovering in the air. These are earthquake lights. They may appear days or mere seconds before the ground starts shaking. Now, John is walking along the ocean shore. Suddenly, he sees the water retreat from the beach really, really fast. Uh-oh. John, run away as quickly as you can and find some high ground. A tsunami is coming. And your life might depend on how fast you react. If John spots a bizarre and unexpected rise in sea level, it can be another sign of an approaching tsunami. This happens in 40% of cases. The incoming water is the first tsunami wave. The second one, way, way larger, will come in in about 10 minutes. John can also notice seawater bubbling, swirling, and creating bizarre patterns. It's another sure sign a tsunami is near. Hmm. John feels there's something strange about the sun. Through his special super dark sunglasses, he sees that there's some uneven flares around the star's contour. If these bizarre rays are accompanied by auroras all over the world, they're a sign of a solar storm. Such storms are usually caused by disturbances in the sun's magnetic field. In this case, the bursts of gas and radiation on the surface of the sun get so massive and powerful that they can even reach our planet. Luckily, solar storms aren't really dangerous for people, but they can mess with electricity and even cause blackouts. The sky over John's head is darkening and turning ominously green. Something hits him on the forehead. Ouch! He picks up the offending object. It's a hailstone, but it's not that cold outside, and it's not raining. Soon, he hears some noise. It's approaching rapidly and turns into a loud roar. It sounds as if a freight train is moving towards him, but it's not a train. It's a tornado. The funnel isn't visible behind a cloud of debris, but John can't mistake this rotating column of air for anything else. Are you on the road, John? Then get as far away from your car as you can. Fast! Find a ditch, lie down in it, and cover your head. Oh, you're inside? Then get away from the windows and hide underground if possible. And please, John, be very careful if you spot some conically shaped clouds. Those mean severe storms. And if you notice that such a cloud starts spinning around, immediately search for shelter. The cloud is transitioning into a tornado right in front of your eyes. On the bright side, John should only worry about warm conical clouds. Cold ones are totally harmless. The only problem is to figure out the temperature of the cloud he sees. Duh! Ah, look. John just spotted some weirdly shaped trees. They look like the letter J and grow on a slope. It means the ground under John's feet is likely to be unstable. 
if he keeps wandering around, it can cause a bad landslide. Square waves appear when two different wave patterns crash into each other. This phenomenon does look kind of awesome. No, don't go into the water, John. Keep watching it from the shore. Cross currents in that spot can easily pull even a skilled swimmer under the surface. John keeps walking along the shore. At one point, he sees wild, choppy waves carrying ocean debris and seaweed. This time, he stays out of the water. He knows it can be a sign of a strong rip current. It can carry a swimmer far away into the ocean. How about a walk in the park? John likes this idea. The sun is shining and the sky is so blue and beautiful. Suddenly, he spots a rapidly growing vertical cloud. At first, it looks bright white. But as it approaches, alarmingly fast, it becomes dense and inky. The sky is darkening. It's getting windy. That's when the guy notices that his hair stands on end. It's his cue that he's about to get hit by lightning. At this very moment, positive charges are rising through his body. They're reaching towards the negatively charged part of the storm. If he doesn't react fast, these charges will meet. There's nowhere to hide, so John should crouch down and try to make himself smaller than the objects around him. Oh no, John, don't lie down on the ground. It may be damp and thus a great conductor of electricity. There are other signs that scream danger during a lightning storm. John's palms may begin to sweat. He might hear bizarre crackling and buzzing sounds coming from metal objects nearby. His skin can start tingling. There might be a strange metallic taste in his mouth. Plus, John is likely to smell chlorine. That's how ozone smells. Boom! This word isn't nearly enough to illustrate the explosion, the most powerful one you've ever seen. And what's most important, it's a lake that's just blown up. Hey, all you wanted to do is light up some fireworks in this picturesque place. But you must have totally missed the danger strictly no fire warning sign along the way. And now, the wall of fuming water is quickly closing in on you. But first, let's rewind to the beginning of the whole thing. You're in Alberta, Canada, and have just arrived to Abraham Lake for a hike of your life. The lake is frozen, and the view is awesome. Those bubbles under the ice look like hundreds of frozen jellyfish. In reality, they're made of methane, a toxic and highly flammable gas produced by bacteria living on the bottom of the lake. That's why the sign is there. If you so much as light a match on this ice, it might set the whole thing on fire. Luckily, you've taken note of it on the way here and put away the fireworks you wanted to light up. Another place, another time. Another lake. This one's not frozen. In fact, it probably hasn't seen a winter since the last ice age. We're in Cameroon now, and the place is called Lake Nios. It looks peaceful, but make no mistake, its orange-brown waters hide a deadly secret. The lake rests atop a highly volatile area, and the fissures in its bottom let out massive amounts of carbon dioxide. When the ground shifts, this gas spills out of the lake and flows miles around it. The concentrations are so high that one breath of it would make you faint, and you'd have zero chance of waking up. Eh, you get the picture. But the most sinister thing about it is that the CO2 doesn't have a smell or color, so you wouldn't even see it coming. Local authorities have set up a system of pipes that drains the gas from the lake, making it mm, relatively safe for people and animals in the vicinity. And another toxic lake, Kivu, on the border of Congo and Rwanda, 
has even been made to provide energy for millions of people thanks to its gases. While we're in Africa, the Danakil Depression in Ethiopia is also worth a blood-curdling visit. Dubbed the hottest place on Earth, it sure lives up to its name. The ravine is peppered with extremely hot springs, toxic acid ponds, and active volcanoes. The landscape is surreal, to say the least, and is probably the only inhabited place on Earth where no life can exist. The Afar people live here all year round and gather salt around the springs for trade, while scientists couldn't find any evidence of microbial life in those. Humans are notorious for settling in places most would gladly avoid. Take Mount Tambora in Indonesia. Thousands of people have been living on and around its slopes for centuries until the fateful day in 1815. Tambora is a volcano, and that year it decided to erupt, resulting in a blast that obliterated everything on the island and was heard almost a thousand miles away. It spewed out so much volcanic ash that it fell in sheets on the surrounding isles and caused a year without a summer in the whole northern hemisphere. It was the most powerful eruption in the last 10,000 years, and Mount Tambora became as much as 5,000 feet lower after it. But back to our time. There's an island you won't be allowed to visit, but I bet you wouldn't want to anyway. The Snake Island in Brazil is home to thousands of snakes, as its name implies. The moment you step on its soil, you're in grave danger of being bitten by a viper. The island is also the only place you can meet a golden lancehead viper. The encounter of a lifetime, literally. This place is so dangerous that Brazil has banned tourists and any other visitors from it unconditionally. Okay, gotta go! Now, get your warmest clothes on and don't forget a fur face mask. We're going to Omayakin, Russia. It's a small town in the far north that's often called the coldest place on the planet where people still live. The only place with a lower average temperature is Antarctica, and that's saying something. In the winter, if you so much as forget to put on a sweater, another sweater, another sweater, and a fur coat, you'll get frozen to the bone in mere seconds. Temperatures here drop to the chilling minus 96 degrees Fahrenheit. Fresh fruit turns to chunks of ice in minutes and becomes so hard you could drive nails into wood with an apple here. Now, before you freeze in place, let's go somewhere no boat will take you. The skeleton coast in Namibia. No, really, you can only drive or fly in here because boats and ships won't go near the place. The waters are treacherous. Sudden gales toss vessels around, and sharp rocks hiding underwater are all too happy to ram into their hulls. The coast itself stretches for hundreds of miles and is divided into southern and northern parts. Visitors on all-terrain vehicles are allowed freely into the southern part, but only about 800 people a year can get to the northern one and only with guided tours. People are known to have been lost in this desert forever, and it's a daunting place to go. It got its name from numerous animal carcasses found here. Hmm. Still, about 50,000 indigenous people managed to survive in this place along with adapted animals, lizards, hyenas, and even elephants. Now, you'd expect a living destruction machine anywhere but the heart of Europe. Naples, one of the most famous cities in Italy, is built on top of an active supervolcano. In 2018, Scientists noticed this monster of a mountain was building up magma in its depths. They say it isn't likely to erupt in the near future, 
But there's a smaller, yet no less dangerous volcano just a few miles off. The infamous Vesuvius. You might remember it for the immolation of the Roman city of Pompeii about 2,000 years ago. You might, but I wasn't around then. This one has been active for a long while, and both citizens and guests of Naples put their lives at stake every single day they spend in town. But hey, while you're there, try the pizza! That's it for today. So hey, if you pacified your curiosity, then give the video a like and share it with your friends. Or if you want more, just click on these videos and stay on the bright side.